Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. Homemade Oak Bar, pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Craig. This is Bucks in the Basement. Uh, 30 minutes of Bucks uh, for you. Uh, look, I I want to call attention before we get into Pirates talk, Craig, to something going on nationally. One team really imploding in Major League Baseball internally, and the spotlight is on them, and if you're paying any attention to teams other than the Pirates, you've noticed it. And then a couple other teams doing some weird things, and I think that they serve as a warning to the Pirates, and to every team in Major League Baseball, that it doesn't matter how many prospects you have, it doesn't matter how much money you spend, it it doesn't matter how many people are on the top 100 uh, MLB pipeline list, or, or, you know, whether or not you go on winning streaks, or if you bring in that big free agent, none of it matters if your team is rotten at the core. And we, we always talk about other rebuilds and, you know, the good things that happen in certain rebuilds, and, and the bad things, some rebuilds that don't work out. Turn your eyes to Chicago, where first it was national news where you saw Timmy Anderson and Jose Ramirez in Cleveland. Go at it. Anderson drops the gloves. I mean, that's national news. First of all, it was a hockey fight that broke out in a baseball game, and it was incredible. And, and the down goes Anderson call on Cleveland radio was just spectacular, right? And the memes and the shirts and everything else, fine. but. Coming out of a trade deadline for a team whose window never opened, where there's anger permeating around the fan base and within those that are associated with the team, and players going to other teams. Uh, The Yankees have a player that left the White Sox and went to their team. The Dodgers have a player. Their team basically tore down seven players traded off of it at the trade deadline in the week leading up to it. And now suddenly after that fight and with the national attention Beat reporters on other teams are going to those players and asking them questions about the White Sox, and they're talking about it. And it comes out very quickly that the picture that has been painted by former players that have just been on in the organization over the last couple of years, who are now on other teams, <laughs> is there is no discipline. There are no consequences. You may show up to practice. You may not show up to practice. Some dude's always sleeping in the bullpen. There's... There's a problem there within the system. Guys make it to the major leagues and they don't know any kind of system or structure or this is what's expected of you or this is how you carry yourself or this is our way of playing baseball. And that's what's being pointed to 
for all of the problems in their rebuild that did not work. It's an absolute and total abject failure. They went out and traded a ton of players back in 2016 and 17, went out and lost for a couple of years, never won a playoff series, only made the postseason twice, once when everybody made it in 2020. They were basically, it was like the hockey playoffs. And then they, they, they got one division and they got bounced out immediately in 21. The window is closed. They sold off and picked up nothing but double-A prospects at the trade deadline. Like, that is not a team that's going for it next year. It already fell apart. And we've looked at good rebuilds like the Astros. You can look at how the Cubs did things years back where they got, in 2016, it paid off of the World Series. There's good rebuilds all over the place, and there's bad ones. And the Pirates being in the middle of one, it would be good for them to look at something that's happening in Chicago right now and say, do we have our system, our structure, from the top down to the studs and the structure that's around the actual 26 guys that are out there playing on the field and our structure down to our minor leagues, are we doing it the right way and are we preparing players? Because if you're not doing that, it doesn't matter. I mean, at one point the Sox had a top five payroll during the supposed window and they didn't win a thing because they were rotten at the core. And so it doesn't matter. All that other stuff doesn't matter if you're rotten at the core. So you go and you travel to the minors and you watch these guys and you follow the intricacies of the entire system of the Pirates. And we've seen a new general manager in there in the last couple of years who's trying to do this rebuild in Charrington. What's your take? Is there a fear this could happen to some uh, to a team like the Pirates, or is this an anomaly that just happened with one screwed up organization? Well, I don't think it's just one screwed up organization because when we jumped on here, Chris, uh, we were talking about you know the the San Diego Padres and the horrible clubhouse that they have, and it doesn't matter how many huge contracts they hand out, and if they have, I think I was saying like you know a top five player at multiple positions. I mean, you look at their lineup and it should be like a murderer's row. They went out and they got, you know, good stud pitching who's actually performing, but the cancer within the clubhouse kind of seems to permeate onto the the field. And, And this is not something that I see with the pirates. And I definitely don't see it at the minor league levels. I see players that are extremely happy to be where they're at. I see, you know, I had talked about on the last uh, minor league news and Bruce show um, about how they got pretty much almost like a mental uh, health or a mental skills coach uh, or a development coach at like every level. Um, they've done things uh, in, in previous years and even more so now they've had like the best nutrition. They've got like some of the best facilities. So within the minor leagues, but then he's even moving to the major leagues, like two things that like popped into my head, like as you were talking, uh, number one was, was Jose Quintana last year, Jose Quintana last year, um, when he went to the Cardinals and then the Cardinals, you know, came back and played the pirates. And I know this seems to be like a, a common theme, but it's like alcohol, but I'm pretty sure that he got Oscar marine like his his favorite tequila or something just to kind of thank him for for how he had developed him when vince velasquez was coming in this year there was like that reputation of you know what i had i had gone to kind of the same place that jose went to and i want you to maybe help me like rebuild my career in that way and almost like just recently carlos santana speaks to jason Mackey of of the pg uh because we played you know Milwaukee right after the trade deadline. And he said, I love my time here with the pirates and I would be, 
you know, more than willing to come back. That would be something I would be extremely open to. Um, There's not stuff that comes out of the clubhouse, even when players are struggling. Like we we could go back to like in 2019 when, when pretty much Clint Hurdle had lost the clubhouse and there was fights breaking out over music, players trying to fight coaches in the bullpen. If people remember that type of stuff. I mean, here, even when players are struggling, like it kind of seems like there is still like that good, you know, I guess would be atmosphere within the clubhouse. I I think that's where some of these veterans come in. They, and they build that type of stuff. Um, So I don't really see that anywhere where there's this type of frustration with, you know, how players are being developed and how they're being treated. I think you're right. I think you're right when you talk about the veteran thing. I think when you say that, I, I, I mean, I, I, it immediately hits me. That's the one thing they've done a very good job during this process of bringing in a guy that will sit there and say, well, why is this guy on the team? What, what do we really need this aging first baseman or this aging outfielder or this aging you know, pitcher? Like, why do we need these guys? Because they don't matter. And, and you'll get people who will complain. We got to get reps for all these young guys. Why do we need these old guys up here? Because if you fill your whole team with the old guys and the young guys don't know how to do it, you end up like the team we just talked about on the south side of Chicago. Okay, you you want to be the Astros, you don't want to be the Angels. You 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 can look at you can look at organizations around Major League Baseball. You know what you'd rather be. You definitely don't want to be the Orioles. They suspended their TV broadcaster for pointing out that the Rays had beaten the Orioles an awful lot in the last several years. <laughs> But things were getting better, and somehow the idiot owner over there in Baltimore took offense to that when it was probably a positive more than anything, and the guy gets suspended, and then you don't even hear about it for a week because he doesn't want to lose his job, so he just sits at home until somebody finally breaks the story, which is probably him like reaching out to a friend. But it's ridiculous. Like There are ticky-tack, terrible organizations, and I'm the first one to say to Bob Nutting's cheap. And I am unhappy with the amount of money he gets spent on the Pirates. And if he doesn't go out and open up the checkbook when we're ready to compete here, then all the ire and the pitchforks and the torches should be directed towards him, right? Completely. On the other hand, if you look at the problems that were happening in 2019, and that's when this show began. So we talked about that way in the infancy of this. And, and, you know, to have now somebody new in there running things and to have things set up the way that they have them set up, if there were problems within the organization, they seem to have been addressed. The owner at least knew it was time to get rid of somebody. I mean, the problem they have in Chicago is the same people have been in charge in the front office underneath the owner for 20 years. 20 years of just failures, and he just won't get rid of his friends. At least nothing will be like, this sucks, I got to get rid of you, right? I mean, he may... He may be cheap about it, but at least he goes, this sucks, I have to get rid of you. One of the other things, though, that I want to touch on that you mentioned was the Padres. Remember a couple years ago when the two big free agents, the two big free agent position players in the league were Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. And Machado got the bigger money. 10 years, $300 million with a chance to renegotiate because he could opt out, which he did, and then he got more money on top of that. Guaranteed $300 million, then he was able to, to negotiate more. He was paid more than Harper. But I don't hear the same kind of troubles coming out of Philly that I hear coming out of San Diego, right? Bryce Harper is the kind of guy. I mean, I see Manny Machado. He's always arguing with an umpire. He's complaining. His last thing that he got ejected for is that he was complaining that the pitcher didn't acknowledge him long enough or come set long enough. 
before he pitched the ball. I mean, it just, he whines over things and it seems like he'll go in the tank and, and you'll hear things that'll come out of that dugout that don't just involve him. But on the other hand, I can look at Bryce Harper and see a guy who gets a major injury and fights his way back to be in the lineup for his team. A guy who I've seen video of in playoff games grab the guy on the on-deck circle when he's on the bench and could just be doing anything and tell him, point at the pitcher and tell him what to look for. And the guy goes up and hits a home run and meets Harper with a thank you. There's video of those kind of things. That guy's a leader. And, and when the Pirates go out in a free agency, it can't just be about WRC+. Plus. It can't just be about a guy's B-war. It can't just be about the metrics. It has to be about the player, too. Because that's the thing that gets you over the hump. I, I, the stats nerds hate that. And we can nerd on this show, nerd out from time to time on this show as well. But the player, the man that's in there, the way they go about their business, their reputation matters. And sometimes matters more than numbers, but definitely when tiebreaker. I mean, like I said, those are the two biggest free agents that were out there that year. And a lot of teams chase Machado over Harper, and Harper made less. And Harper seems to be clearly the more valuable of the two when you look back at it. And the Pirates, again, that's another lesson. Learn that because your time is coming where you may have to go out and get a player or two and make that kind of decision. If you ever see me out and about in Pittsburgh, you will always recognize me. And not just because of the white beard, but also because of the Y that is always on top of my head. The hat I always wear. The Yin's brand. Proud partners with Bucks in the Basement. Three dynasties. One brand. Yin's. Finally, one brand to rep all black and gold. Follow at Shop Yin's for new merch drops and giveaways. Order online at www.shopyins, the emphasis on the two Zs, high quality comfort, lightweight materials, a new modern look for the black and gold, made for Yins by a Yinzer. You see the impact of even just like going back to Santana, like when the Pirates win, they still do the celebration in the middle of the field that Carlos Santana started. Johan Oviedo, a guy that we brought up and who now is like everybody's talking about, we had brought up during a show where we were talking about a ton of negativity and you're like, give me something positive. And I was like, look at Oviedo's whip. Well, that was a guy that was in Rich Hill's ear every single game. You could go back and watch video of it when Rich Hill wasn't pitching and Johan Oviedo wasn't pitching and they were standing at the top of the steps they were next to each other and he was kind of asking him because this is a guy that, you know, maybe Rich Hill is not your type of player because he yells too much or does whatever, but the guys in the clubhouse absolutely loved him because he would, he would just basically say, okay, I've been in the league for this many years. This is how I've done it. And this is what kind of you need to do. And he was doing that from spring training. So, I mean, there's lasting impressions from that. And yes, like you're saying, Chris, you, you can't have either, you know, all young guys, you can't have all old guys. You have to have a steady balance of that, but you also have to have people that, you know, 
even if they're frustrated with stuff, like you could see if Henry Davis is frustrated because he's not a right fielder. He wants to be a catcher. He only brought one mitt to, to spring training. When we were talking about Andy Rodriguez, Andy Rodriguez brought like a first baseman's mitt, an outfield glove, a different glove for second base and a catcher. And so, you know, Henry could be very frustrated with this type of stuff. And he's just like, I just want to get better. Whatever he's doing, he just wants to get better at. He wants to win. He wants the team to win. Whenever he performs well and they ask him how things are going, he doesn't talk about like how he's doing himself. He'll be like, well, I, I wish we could have, you know, pulled this win out. You know, that's where his mindset's at. So I think if you get a lot of good players like that and, and you have these guys that are, you know, when they were going in the tank in, you know, May and June, there could they, the clubhouse could have completely fallen apart and it could have, you know, been lost. But it doesn't seem to be that way whatsoever. I think they kind of realize themselves like what type of team that they are and, and what they want to do and of course they all want to win but they keep you know all of these things like to themselves they let you know the manager speak more i i saw an interview with uh i, I don't know if it was oviedo or it, yeah it was oviedo and it was saying like you know how are you doing better in the first inning or whatever and he just basically said you know I, I'm trying to use my fastball more. And he let like kind of Derek Shelton say, you know, he needed to be more aggressive. He needed to to do more. So as for as, as much as people will fault, you know, Derek Shelton on his decisions, we've had this conversation on the show a million times that his main job and, and whether people like it or not is to pretty much, you know, build a culture and to, to kind of keep this team together throughout this rebuild, whether he's the guy in the future or not. But as far as like not letting these teams completely implode to, to have a player like Brian Reynolds, you know, sit through, you know, a few years of just like an absolute mess of a team and then still sign what is seen like throughout major league baseball as like people will call it, you know, a cheap contract or a team friendly deal. But he kept on saying this entire time that that he wanted to be here. So to try to to have those type of players and to have that type of atmosphere, whether it leads to to winning or losing, I just don't see the Pirates turning out to be like you know one of those types of teams that implodes from the inside out because of you know the stuff that we're hearing about you know from former, you know, White Sox players, uh, you know, moving forward. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I think you're right about it too. And, and again, pitchforks and torches, if when it comes time, and I think it begins this off season, that Bob Nutting doesn't increase the payroll, right? Like, I don't know if they'll ever be, I don't know if it's realistic that they'll ever be a top five payroll or top 10 payroll, which they had in Chicago with the rotten core within their organization, which has now come to light with all these national stories. And I think we'll get worse and it'll be interesting to watch, you know, I mean, like I like watching all of baseball and I'm sure a lot of our, our listeners do as well. And so you're going to, I think you'll see more come out of it. And it is a really interesting story of like what to watch out for. But I, I also, I, I have to appreciate a little bit the fact that the structure seems to be there for the pirates and that the, a lot of decisions have been made to over the last couple of years to enforce that. I mean, Kutch coming in was a was a big deal. Again, Nutting has to spend, but he also is the guy that sat there and said, I want to get this veteran back who has ties to the organization that is going to stand there and tell some young guy, this is how we do it. 
when we play for the Pirates. There is a value to that. And now it sounds like he's coming back next year. Like what, you know, baseball players don't age like fine wines. They generally age like your car. Eventually it breaks down. And you could see him. He had a good start to the season, which is falling off right now. But I I do see a value to him. At some point, though, he's going to have to go off into the sunset when there isn't a role for him on the team. 24, okay, fine. I could see them being competitive and still having him on the team. And by the end of the year, maybe he's not a starter. Maybe he's more of a guy on the bench or he's playing like four days a week somewhere out there on the field. But what do you think about the fact that it sounds like he's back in 24? Well, I mean, of course. I mean, I love Kutch for what he brought to. He's like the first player like in my lifetime that I have like vivid memories of going to the games and him bringing this team back. Like, of course, I was in the stands in, you know, 90, 91, 92, but I was a, a dumb, you know, preteen and teenager. So it wasn't like I had, you know, the same appreciation for, for what was going on. You know, if you're a little bit older, you know, back in like the seventies, you probably have more of an appreciation for that as well. But yeah, I mean, my thing was, is, I mean, I was looking up Kutch's numbers like everybody does. And it was the big thing that Kutch was like, I mean, pretty much like almost an everyday DH during the month of July and did not have a single you know, RBI. He hasn't had a home run since June 30th. I, when we're talking about WRC plus his WRC plus is sitting around like 89. He's got below a 700 OPS, you know, since that time. But I mean, with Kutch, I, I that's where kind of like, it's weird here because we don't know what O'Neill Cruz is going to be like when he comes back. We don't know if he's going to be able to play the field. So an obvious role for him is DH. We hear about the problems with, you know, Henry Davis in right field. And Everybody, I think, is finally grasping the fact that he's not ready to catch yet, which is something we've been talking about for like months upon months. And and they're saying, well, you know, get him reps in right field. But then the only other position he can really get more reps at is is at DH. And so that's like taking stuff away from Kutch because, man, Kutch can't pay, play the field anymore. So that's where, like, I mean, I want him to come back. I kind of want him to reach all the milestones that he wanted to reach before the end of this year, just in case he doesn't. But talking about like that clubhouse, you know, he's not a very vocal leader within the clubhouse, but he's a guy that kind of like demands the respect of the clubhouse. Like I couldn't see, you don't need to be a rah-rah guy. Yeah. You know, I mean, baseball is littered. With, with guys that later on teammates will say he was a great leader. He never spoke. He just went in, did his business, was there on time. Sh- you know, he showed guys this is how you do it without having to be vocal. And, and that's the thing. He at least does that. Th- that kind of stability means something, I think. You don't need to be running up the guys and grabbing by the collar and being like, look here, young buck, you got to do such and such this way. You don't need to do that. If you're going about your business the right way, and showing what a professional is, some young guy getting to the majors, knowing your reputation is going to be like, I want to be like him. And that's the value that he kind of brings in there. Yeah. And the stuff that like, even just like the little stuff that he does, like, you know, players getting, you're talking about Machado getting like frustrated with like striking out and stuff. Kutch can show his frustrations at the plate with umpires and do it in a way that's like somewhat still endearing because he gives like, you know, the little shoulder shrug or like an eye roll or just like a kind of like a smile that's just like, I know that I'm right. And I know that this ump is wrong, 
but I can do it in a way that I'm just like, you know what? I'm still having fun playing the game. I I'm 36 years old, 37. I'm back in my, you know, where the team that pretty much built me and, and I can show players how to do that. And even like a player like Brian Reynolds, like everybody's just like, well, Brian Reynolds isn't a very vocal guy. Brian Reynolds went through a horrible slump, which it looks like he may be coming out of. But the one thing that was never questioned about Brian Reynolds was his work ethic. So, like, you have those players and everybody's talking about, like, you know, who's the leaders within the clubhouse? Well, it kind of seems like that, you know, even if the guy is a leader, it's not somebody that has to you know, like you said, show a ton of emotion and maybe in some ways that's a good thing. Cause sometimes, you know, those types of people may rub somebody. If you have too many personalities in the clubhouse, you know, the wrong way or whatever it may be. I'm fine with Kutch coming back in 2024. I think that if he does come back, I mean, he, his role, hopefully, at, you know, at least at some point during the season would be, you know, minimized a little bit, kind of like a, a guy, you know, that if anybody's watching, if this ever gets put on video, the Connor Joe is it, you need those types of guys that can come in, give you professional at bats and not be in there all the time. Like right now we have people that complain about, you know, say Josh Palacios or whoever being like the, the 26th man on these competitive teams and stuff like that. You may have like a McCutcheon, a Connor Joe, a guy that, you know, Connor Joe in his last, I think it's like 68 plate appearances since July 1st, which basically means he's not a regular player anymore is has an OPS over 850 WRC plus like up over 120 and is playing very well in that limited role. So, and he could also be, you know, what he's been through is a guy that's, you know, beat cancer. The reason everybody says he has a long hair, he won't cut it because of, you know, the cancer. He seems to be a guy that, you know, doesn't really get shaken by a lot. And I think that's teaching, you know, these players. I mean, people want to see like our manager and the players and all this show more emotion maybe that's not their personality. Maybe that's just that they're guys that are going to go about their business. I mean, they went out uh, when people are like, listen to this, who knows what they're going to do tonight. But, you know, last night on Monday, they took on the possibly the NL Cy Young leader and the young guys just basically chipped away at him and, per, you know, produced a win against Spencer Strider and the Atlanta Braves, which is something that this team, as bad as people are talking about the narratives of how bad they are, shouldn't be able to do even like on any given, you know, night. So it shows character. It shows character. And you mentioned a couple of good character guys before you got to that story, right? I mean, and and, and, a, and a competitive team, think about it this way. If, if you were bringing up a bunch of young guys and you wanted them to compete and you knew that eventually their ceiling and their value to your team was going to be better than a Connor Joe or a Kutch here from this point going forward, right? But you still want to keep Kutch and a guy like Joe on your bench and playing, you know, a couple games a week or something like that and, and being stable because injuries happen. Because sometimes a guy goes into a slump and you need those guys. You don't want to be backing up young guys with other young guys. Like, that. <laughs> like first of all, the young guy that's the backup does not develop, right? Because he's not getting regular at-bats. So he's better in AAA. And you don't want to back up a young guy with another young guy because it could all fall apart, like a house of cards, like what we described at the beginning of this show. That's how they did it. If you looked at their roster over the last couple of years, that's how they did it. It was a bunch of young guys leading a bunch of other young guys. And, and it's a good idea, I think, to have Joe around. His role makes sense. 
In fact, I would contend that having a guy like Connor Joe around and having him into 24 in that kind of a role would suggest to me that the Pirates intend to up it and get into it and compete because you need those kind of role players and those kind of guys as the bones, as the backbones, as the guys that are not at the forefront playing every day for a team that's going to compete down the line. And so I, I, I think that that's a great thing. And so like, here's the thing. I look at the Pirates and I say, the structure's there. I look at the Pirates and I say, they've got role players. They've got veterans. They've got a way of doing things. They, they have some things that need to be fixed, right? I still think that the jury is out on whether or not Derek Shelton is the guy that's going to take them to the promised land, right? I'm still not sure if all these prospects are going to work out. I'm still not sure what you're going to do with your pitching staff, but it's there. You have done a lot of the hard work here, and you've, and you've laid a ton of foundation that not every Major League Baseball team has. Now what you have to do is go out and spend money, okay? The thing that, like, Bob Nutting has av- avoided for years, now you got to go out in the free agency and get a couple players, now you got to get creative and trade a few guys, you know? Now, I mean, look, I, I still like the thought of if, if Henry Davis and, and Endy are the two catchers, right? And, and, and whenever one of them is playing catcher, the other one's out in the outfield or in a different position. Okay, fine. I can buy that. That's fine. You get to keep both bats into the, in the lineup. I also think that if, if it, the opportunity presents itself, a forward-thinking general manager may move a guy like Henry Davis to a team that is starved for young starting catching. Okay. And thinks that they can keep him as their catcher for the next 10 years and is going to give you back something of equal value that plays a position that you need. You know, people hate trading away their assets because they fall in love with the assets and they think about it. But in the off season, I would not come walking onto the show all surprised and up at arms if a trade was announced where, and it doesn't need to be Davis, if a trade was announced where player of such and such value at a position that we are deep at, that still has development in front of him, was traded for player that can help us now, that is at a position that we are weak at, in an equal trade of assets and run production and defense just in the position that we need, right? Or brought in one of our mid tier or high end or every week, every five star, take the ball and be a reliable starting pitcher. Like those, that's the things that need to happen here this off season, that kind of tweaking and the checkbook has to open up. It doesn't have to open up. You don't need to go from being at the bottom of the league to the top of the league, right? But you better be in the middle and you've, you've got the wiggle room. Not every, not every position is strong this year. But you can go out and you can fix some problems. I think first base is going to be one of them that they're going to fix, unless they're going to give Kutch a first baseman's glove. <laughs> let's, let's that's the plan. Let's Kutch, for the first time in his life, is going to go stand over at first base. And, uh, and, and that's what he's going to be, you know? And then he would just have to repeat the numbers that he had this year. Because if you look at his overall year to this point, it's still acceptable, even though he is, he is on the downturn. And I, I don't think that that's a long-term or even viable solution. But, I, you know, th- those are the things that need to be addressed in this offseason. They, they really do. What are we missing on the ticker? I know I feel like we, we didn't get to one thing, and I want to get to everything that you wanted to talk to. we got a couple minutes left. Yeah. The one thing I was uh, thinking about was the conversation that's going on about uh, Jared Triolo and Cabrian Hayes. And even as you were talking, I started to think about, like, everybody's like, oh, well, we wasted the contract on Hayes. And, and we were talking about, like, trades and different stuff. And I wasn't even, like, thinking about trading Hayes. 
but I'm thinking about a team that may need a player like Hayes who plays amazing defense, maybe doesn't hit as well. Just like, I mean, I'm not comparing him to Austin Hedges, but everybody was like, well, Texas took on Austin Hedges because they're the best, you know, hitting team and they just kind of need a backup catcher. There may be teams like later on that we may end up trading Hayes because they may need, you know, a defensive player at third base because they have a murderer's row, you know, kind of in front of them. But the big conversation was, you know, Jared Triolo versus Cabrian Hayes. And everybody's like, well, you know, Jared Triolo is hitting like 278 and he's getting all these key hits and all this different stuff. And I was just like, but Jared Triolo's OPS is like just above 650 because he hits for no power. He's hit for more power within the minor leagues, but his OPS has really been like 780 to 800 in the minor leagues, which, you know, isn't a lot. He's never really done that. But the thing I was you know, talking to you about the show before, Chris, that not a lot of people are mentioning again is that he has a handmade injury. He, that's why he didn't start the season in AAA. That's why he was, you know, down there getting some rehab starts and was down at Pirate City. A guy who has a handmade injury, at least for the year after that, that zaps their power. Um, so any power that he does have, um, which wasn't much, is now, you know, even less. But he does play defense very well. But I think that's just even a silly conversation to have, you know, at this point in time, because Jared Triolo has like 30 games in his career. Cabrian Hayes, at least for right now, is not going anywhere. But man, that back injury, if that keeps on acting up, I also would not be, <laughs> I would not be opposed to trading him, but it wouldn't be because we have Jared Triolo waiting in the wings. No, but also remember this. The Hayes deal was structured very intelligently. If you're going to go out and you're going to spend money on a guy and lock him in long term to front load it the way that they did, because it's not really, it's not bad money if you let go of the money and it's a contract that somebody's going to probably take a, take a swing at. You can convince somebody if you wanted to move on from, you didn't, you didn't backload it. A lot of teams backload their stuff when they lock in a guy long term. And then when they get to a point where they want to compete and they got the wrong guy, they're still kind of stuck with them. Oh my goodness. I just got back to the beginning uh, of the show. Yoan Moncada hits about 200 and he's making $25 million next year for the Chicago White Sox. What a dumpster fire. Listen, Pirates fans, every time you get upset, trust me, there are more screwed up teams than what you have in front of you. And there's hope here. There's definitely hope. I mean, we lots of hope. hope <laughs> there's lots of hope. Oh man. He's got a $5 million buyout or 30 million a year after that. That's crazy. I see the changes in this town They change, they say